A very good morning to my brothers and sisters in Christ and also to the friends that have joined us for this morning's worship. Today is a wonderful morning. It's always a good morning to be able to worship God on the first day of the week. Unfortunately, a number of our brethren have uh, taken ill, uh, so the group here is a bit smaller. Uh, we hope that we'll have them back with us soon. Uh, please continue to keep our brethren that have fallen ill in prayers and also for the safety of those who have traveled abroad. Uh, this morning, I've chosen to speak on a topic that is taken from the words of, our, of the King David. And the title of my sermon today is, I will not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. You know, when it comes to giving, there is a phrase that is uh, being said. Okay? There's this statement that says, someone made this statement, when it comes to giving, some people stop at nothing. But this is an interesting saying because there are a few ways of considering uh, this phrase. For instance, what this can mean is that there are some people who will let nothing stop them from giving. In the Bible, we read of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And in verse 2, it tells us of these Macedonians who were generous givers, whose deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liber liberality. So even though they were poor, but yet they were so generous in giving to others. So they did not think about themselves, but they think for others. And in the Lord's Church, we are also blessed to have such generous givers as well. We have retirees who do not have income, but yet they provide us meals to feed our stomach. We have brethren. Last time in Limapin, I remember that we were looking for brethren to help to pick up uh, our brethren that they are, not, uh, they are not able to uh, move around easily. Uh, we asked for volunteers. And there was this brother who volunteered. I was surprised. I said, but you don't have a car. He said, oh, it's okay. I can take a cab to bring the sister to church. Generous givers, even though they are non-drivers, they want to help in fetching brethren. This statement can also mean that there are some who will give so long as it costs them nothing. I will give things that I don't need, I will give. Things that are torn, tattered, I will give. You know, when it comes to the collection, uh, sometimes we have special collection. Thankfully, this congregation, we are very generous givers. Uh. Uh, usually, we look at the size of the congregation and the amount of giving is quite substantial. So, general pay brethren are generous givers. But you know, people are even more generous when it comes to secondhand giving. Uh. Uh, sometimes we have secondhand collection. Wow, we collect so much that we cannot even put into the box. We have not enough. We have to store them and leftovers. Even now, we still have some that are leftovers that we'll be giving subsequently. But you know, there are some problems is that there are people who give those that are torn, stained, or stretched clothing. Uh. And, uh, initially, we have that, so we have to make an announcement. And thankfully, subsequently, we have no such problems anymore. But people are willing to give. Ah, this thing I don't need, I will give. This thing I don't need, I will give. In fact, I remember there was something that was quite astounding. Uh. When, I was at, when we were at Lima Pin, we also have this collection for Philippines. Well, you know what is the strangest thing that uh, we got in the collection? I was flabbergasted uh, when I saw that, that in among the giving, uh, there was a god of statue fortune, uh, the Thai Sen Ye fortune. Uh, I like, wow, why would people give this? I turned that the golden calf uh, because you're giving an idol away to give to the brethren. Well, don't give that kind of thing. If we don't, cannot use it, don't give to others. So some will give if it doesn't cost me anything. But there are some who will literally not give anything at all. They are so stingy that they don't want to give. Anything extra, don't ask me to give. In the Bible, we read of such a stingy person uh, by the name of Nabal. Nabal was someone who was very rich, having a lot of flocks, a lot of herds. Well, David and his men were in the wilderness. They were on the run from King Saul. And so they asked for some things from him. David asked, them, asked his men. He said that, well, 
We have taken care of your shepherds when they were out in the field. We have looked after them. We have also uh, guarded their sheep. Could you give us a little provisions for my men? After all, they need something to eat. Well, Nabal was so stingy, he refused to give anything. Thankfully, he had a very beautiful and also a beautiful wife who was not only beautiful in appearance, but in heart. When she heard about that, the man also testified that David's man really took care of them very well. And so she gave to David. Well, you know what the Bible says. One day, Nabal was having a feast, enjoying himself, eating a lot, and drinking a lot. But in 1 Samuel 25, verse 37, subsequently, when he got, when he uh, was woken up from his uh, drunken stupor, uh, the wife told him about the giving. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says that when he learned about the wife giving, his heart died within him. Uh. This was a man that had so much money, but I heard that my wife gave money to someone else. His heart died. He couldn't take the shock. Eh? He was so stunned that my wife would dare to give of my stuff to other people. How about us today? Are there times when our, our family members give to the Lord? Say, wow, how can you give so much money? Do we get upset about that? Or are there among us, those of us who are receivers rather than givers? You know, sometimes people want the grace of God. They obey the gospel. But surely after, they stop coming. Perhaps they obey the gospel because I have a health crisis. I have an operation coming. I better obey the gospel in case I don't survive. Well, I hope that I can go to heaven. I hope to get God's mercy and God's grace. But, hey, I recovered. I'm not willing to pay the cost anymore. Uh, I don't want to give of my time, my energy, my money. So, they fall away. How about some that come to obey the gospel? Because the person that they are seeing says that I will only marry a Christian. Okay, you only marry a Christian. I obey the gospel. Well, after I get married, uh, sorry, that's it. I don't really, not very interested in Christianity. They give to God literally nothing. They don't want to offer to God anything. In the Bible, we also reach off such a man. This man was a rich man who had many flocks, many herds. In contrast to him, there was a poor man okay, who had only a little lamb that he bought with his own money. Remember, he was poor and he bought a lamb. And this lamb was so precious to him, the Bible says he cherished like his own child. But you know, when a traveler came to the rich man, Instead of taking his own things to give to the traveller, he took the poor man's lamb for the traveller. Does this story ring a bell? Well, you will remember that in 2 Samuel chapter 12. In fact, Nathan would tell David that thou art the man. Nathan revealed to David that David was the man who took Uriah's wife for himself. Even though he has so many wives, so many concubines, he took a poor man's wife, a poor man's lamb in the sense, the wife, and for himself. But you know, David was even worse huh? because this man in the, in the parable, he took the poor man's lamb. He didn't kill the man. But what David did was that he killed the man and then took the man's wife. So he actually did far worse than the man. Well, from being the rich man who gave to the traveler that which caused him nothing, subsequently we see that David became the man who made the famous declaration, I will not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me Nothing. Uh, this phrase uh, is actually taken from the Good News Bible. So if you look at the King James, it may be a bit slightly different, different phrase. So this is the inspiration for our topic for this morning. I will not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. So let us consider David's giving to God, even as we reflect on our own giving to God. I'll look at three points this morning. We'll first look at the context. Why did David have to make this declaration? And then we'll look at the consideration. God gave David three choices because he sinned against him. And let's look at the choice of David. 
and subsequently the cost, the thing that David chose, and then subsequently the sacrifices that he made to God. Let's first consider the context behind these words. I will not offer to the Lord my God sacrifices that have cost me nothing. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, read of how David sinned against God. In fact, we see that God allowed Satan to provoke David to number Israel. If 2 Samuel 24 verse 1 and 1 Chronicles 21 verse 1, these are parallel accounts. But I notice something interesting. Because in 2 Samuel 24 verse 1, it says that God moved David to number Israel. But 1 Chronicles 21 says, Satan is the one who provoked David to number, to number Israel. So which is which? Well, God is the one who allowed Satan. That's why it can be said in both ways. We know the Bible tells us in James 1 verse 13 that God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. So over here, God is not the one who directly made David to sin. But God allowed Satan to provide a temptation. That's why in that sense, he says that God moved um, David to number Israel. But this doesn't mean that David had no choice of his own. In fact, David was not blameless in this matter. Because the temptation was offered to him, David had a choice whether to commit the sin or not to commit the sin. In fact, David himself knew that it was a sin. In fact, his, the commander that was Joab, the commander of his army, warned him against the sin. If you look at 1 Chronicles 21 verse 3, Joab told David, the Lord made his people a hundred more times so many as they be. So since this seems to us that David was the one who initiated it and he wanted to see how many people he had. So Joab says, well, may God bless you with even more. He says, but my Lord, the king, are they not all you, my Lord's servants? Why then does the Lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? So Joab warned him, don't bring sin upon Israel. Don't bring sin upon the people. What you are doing is wrong. So with this reminder, David still proceeded to number Israel. In fact, subsequently, we see that he knew he was wrong because his heart pricked him. His constraints struck him. In 2 Samuel 24 verse 10, he says, David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. He said to God, notice he admitted, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech you, O Lord, take away the iniquity of my servant, of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. So David knew that it was a sin, but he still proceeded to do it. And his heart struck him. You might wonder, what is wrong with numbering the people? Uh? What's wrong with that? Doesn't seem like anything wrong. Which command of God did it uh, violate? Well, it violated the command for us not to trust in ourselves. Because David sin lies in trusting in his own military might instead of in the hands of God. You recall an instance during the time of Judges when Gideon uh, was sent to lead the people to fight against the Midianites. Well, they started with 32,000 32, Israelites, right? That could fight the battle. Okay. But God said to Gideon, uh, the people that are with you are too many for me to give the Immediate into their hands. Lest they bond themselves, lest they be proud, think of themselves that my own hand have saved me. So God says, too many people. We don't want Israel, he doesn't want Israel to think that their own might have saved them. So from 32,000, cut down to 10,000. God says, it's still too many. Because if they win the victory, they will still think that it's their own might. So from 10,000, it cut down to 300 now. So there's no way Israel will think that it's my own might. Because 300 against a host of Midianite army. If they won the victory, it had to be God who brought them the victory. So God didn't want people to think of that it's their own ability to give them the victory. But now David in his older old age, he somehow had become confused. 
that he began to think that of his own power, his own might. He wanted to number the people to see how many armies that he had. Maybe when he wants to go to war, he can think of his own numerical superiority. But this contrasted with his, with his thinking when he was much younger, wasn't that? Remember when he fought against Goliath? He was never ever, ever thinking about the weapons that he had. Saul wanted to give him his armor, his weapons. David says, no, I don't need that. God will give us the victory. In fact, notice his bold words to Goliath. He says that all the assembly shall know that the Lord saves not with sword or spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. This was a man who trusted God wholeheartedly when he was young. When he did not have anything in his hands, only five stones, he trusted that God will give him the victory. But it seems that success has gone to his head. Now he depended on himself more than God. But not only did David sin against God, Israel also sinned against God. You might wonder subsequently, why did God punish Israel? In fact, David thought that God had punished Israel for nothing. But we see in the text that Israel had sinned against God as well. God apparently was angry with them for some unrevealed sin. Notice the words of 2 Samuel 24, verse 1, very carefully. It says, And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go, number Israel and Judah. So God allowed David to provide the temptation. But notice that God was finding an occasion to punish Israel because he was angry with them. And we know that God doesn't get angry with people for no reason. So there was some sin that the Bible didn't reveal. But notice the word again. Ah. So they had actually angered God prior to that. When did that happen? If you look at 2 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 2, we see that God had actually punished them because of the killing of the Gibeonites. Because the children of Israel had made a treaty, a pact with them. But yet King Saul killed the Gibeonites. In 2 Samuel 21 verse 2, the king called the Gibeonites, which is David called them, and said unto them. And the Bible says, the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. So Israel has sinned because they took innocent blood. You might say that Saul is the one killing. What does that have to do with Israel? But notice, why did Saul kill the Gibeonites? Of course, we know that Saul was a bloodthirsty man who went after David. Huh? But in this instance, he did it in order to please the children of Israel and Judah. So perhaps they were the ones who instigated the killing. They didn't want these slaves among them. Okay, these were people who were serving in God's temple. But they were, after all, from the foreign nations. Perhaps they, weren't, they were uh, against them. There was some discrimination against them. So they instigated Saul to kill them. It was just like how Herod, remember? He wanted to please the Jews, so he wanted to kill Peter as well. So Israel was not innocent in this regard. And so, subsequently, there was punishment for them. Three years of famine in that instance because of this sin. And now, God was again angry, again angry with Israel. So there apparently was some unrevealed sin that they had committed. And so God sought the opportunity to bring punishment on them. But with regards to the numbering, we see that Israel has sinned in this regard as well. Because in the law of Moses, in Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, we see that when Israel were being numbered, when the sum of the number of children of Israel were taken, the Bible says, Then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord, when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. So when the number is being done, when the number is being done, when the census is being made, there is a command from God that they have to give half a shekel, every man as ransom for himself. Notice the point uh, that there be no plague among them. 
Subsequently, you see that there was a plague on them because they have violated this commandment of God. They were supposed to give to God half a shekel, but apparently they have forgotten all about it. They have failed to do so. In fact, the only time they read about them giving the shekel, uh, the half shekel is in Exodus 38, during the time of Moses. But subsequently, subsequent numbers, you see that they actually forgotten about it. Uh. There was no giving of this text. So perhaps they're taken for granted. Well, first time I do a numbering uh, without paying, God never punished me. Second time, there's no punishment. Okay, I don't think that is very serious. So again, they neglected to pay the tax to God. So because of that, they brought God's wrath upon them. So while David, we see earlier, he admitted he had sinned greatly, he had done very foolishly, but the Israelites were not innocent in this regard. David thought that they were innocent, but not so, because there was some sin that was not revealed. And in this account of the numbering of the people, they had sinned again, because they have not given the ransom for themselves. David thought that it was his own problem. He said to God, is it not I that have called, commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and have done evil indeed. But as for this sheep, what have they done? David thought to himself that these people were being punished for his sin. They were innocent. But of course, we know that God is fair. He punishes the guilty. So these people were just as guilty. Therefore, they received the punishment. So we see that subsequently, an offering had to be made because of sin. Well, considering this point, have we provoked God to anger with our sins? Are we guilty of stubborn sins? We see that David committed a stubborn sin. He knew that numbering the people was wrong. He was warned by Joab, but yet he proceeded to do it. How about us? Have we been guilty of such sins as well? Hebrews 10 verse 25 warns us against forsaking the assembly. It says, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but, uh, but uh, subsequently that we have to not be guilty of this willful sin. Because in verse 26 says, if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Sometimes we know that it's wrong to forsake the assembly. But because of convenience, we decide that, well, I'll just stay at home. Uh, maybe I'll just watch the stream, or stream online. We're not talking about those who have fallen sick or those who are unable to come. But are we guilty of that? If you are guilty of such sin, some people think that I will pray to God for forgiveness. But yet they go back to the sin again. Will God forgive such willful and, uh, and, and things that were done in stubbornness? Of course not. When we ask God for forgiveness, we also have to repent of the sins. So are we guilty of stubborn sins? Are we guilty also of secret sins? Well, we see the Israelites apparently were guilty of secret sins. God was angry with them. Although the sin was not being revealed, but yet there was a sin that is being committed. How about us? Are we guilty of sins that are done in secret? Maybe on Sunday, we come to church, we are like a good Christian. Our brethren have good impressions of us. But throughout the rest of the week, are we living in sin? Are we living like the rest of the world? Perhaps going to drinking, going to gambling. Maybe Chinese New Year, we say that, oh, uh, Chinese New Year, we are just playing among family members. Play mahjong, uh, play a bit of money, small money, uh, not a big deal. But isn't that also gambling? Are we guilty of such sins? That every time there's a festivity, well, come together, let's play blackjack, let's play mahjong, and then we play with money, real money. Yeah. Okay. If you play for fun, nothing wrong, but you play with money, well, that against contravenes God's commandment not to be covered, not to be greedy, we have seen in gambling. Again, secret sins, there is a punishment. On earth, you may get away with it, brethren may not know, you may not suffer consequence. But the Bible says that Christ will come, will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, 
He will make manifest the counsels of the heart. So God will expose all sins. We can hide from man, but we can't hide from God. Well, what about subliminal sins? What do I mean by that? The word subliminal is defined as something that is behold, below, sorry, below the threshold of conscious perception. Where is something that we know that is wrong, but we have been so desensitized to the sin, having committed it for so many times, that nowadays that we don't even think of it as a sin. In fact, we try to justify the sin. Well, that was what happened with the Israelites, wasn't that? They were supposed to give a, tech, a ransom for the numbering. They give it once in Exodus 38. Subsequently, you see subsequent numberings, there were no mention of the, the ransom being given. They had done it for so many times, there were no consequences. That even though they knew that of this commandment, but they are now in their mind effectively erased it. To them, it's not an important command. It's something that is a footnote, but no consequence will happen if I don't do anything. Are we guilty of such? Have we been desensitized to sin? James 2 verse 10 tells us that whosoever keep the whole law yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. If there are sins that we're guilty of, even in our mind, we try to justify it. But the Bible tells us if you are guilty of this sin, we are guilty of us being a transgressor of God's law. Are we guilty of such sins? Perhaps sins of unforgiveness. We cannot forgive our brethren. We cannot forgive our family members. Is then that a sin? Sometimes we are so used to it, uh, staying angry for so long that we forget that it's a sin. We justify ourselves. But remember, in the book of John, 1 John, the Bible tells us that sometimes we justify ourselves that, well, I hate a brother, but I don't kill him. But the Bible says that whosoever hates his brother is a murderer, and no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. God sees sin alike. He doesn't just distinguish between big sins or small sins. That is what men do, but not God. If you hate someone, it's as good as committing the sin of murder. So are we guilty of sins? And have we provoked God to anger with our sins? So we see that Israel and David had committed sin, and so there had to be consequences. So God gave them, God actually gave David three choices. And there was a choice that David had to consider. He had to consider whether he wanted to accept the punishment to fall into the hands of men. You see, in 1 Chronicles 21, verse 7 to 17, David had three choices. The first choice was three years of famine. And you see that this is something that David had gone through before. Huh? Earlier, remember, we say that how Israel sinned in killing of the Gibeonites and God punished them with three years of famine, year after year. So this is a choice that David would have been familiar. He had gone through it, he had survived it. So perhaps it might be an easier choice compared to the other two. But David knew that this, this, this problem is that he had to fall into the hands of men. You might think, eh, how is famine falling into the hands of men? After all, is there famine from God? I don't have any food. But how is it that I fall into the hands of men? It's because, imagine if you have a famine, what do you have to do for food? You have to go to the surrounding nations, right, to get food, have to buy from them. Aren't you depending on the mercy of others? Especially of people who have no fear of God. People who are of the world, they don't think about God, they have no fear of God. They want things from you if you get it from them. So if there's a famine, you are falling to a man's hands depending on their mercy for survival. So this was a choice that was offered to David. He didn't take the choice. Secondly, he was offered the choice of three months of pursuit. Three months of pursuit by his enemies. And again, David was familiar with this choice uh, okay, because he was being pursued for much of his life. First by King Saul and then by his son Solomon. In fact, notice when King Saul was pursuing him, uh, 
David says that he's as if he's come out to seek a flea as one hunt a partridge in the mountains. Uh. Someone who was hunting something that's so insignificant. Can you imagine going after a flea? Well, you know, last night uh, in my house, uh, a fly came into my house. We spent the night trying to chase it out. Uh. We couldn't. Uh. Okay. I said, two waste of time. Uh. No point chasing it. We just wait for it to eventually go out. That's what the, the king saw trying to do. Uh. Chase after a flea. Trying to kill someone. People have no mercy uh, even to the smallest of creatures. Well, David didn't want to fall into man's hands. He was also even familiar that not just his father-in-law wanted to kill him, his son wanted to kill him as well. He wanted his life. Uh. So David was familiar with this choice. Perhaps it would be an easier choice. After all, three months, uh, his much of his life had been in pursuit. He survived. It would have been an easy choice because he had gone through it. He had put through. <clears throat> but what David did recognize is that man's mercy uh, is nothing compared to God's mercy. He says that the tender mercy of the wicked are cruel. Uh. Today, the world says, I show you mercy. Uh. The mercy is nothing to delight in uh, because the mercies of the world are very cruel. The world is very practical, very materialistic. If you have something for me, you are of use to me, I will show mercy to you. But imagine that if you are fallen sick, uh, you are no use to your company. Your company say, Aya, you have been working for me for so long. I show you mercy. I take care of you for your life. For life. I take care of your medical bills. I take care of your family. No, uh, the next moment will be out of the company because you have no use to them. So the mercies of the wicked, the world is wicked. They are cruel. So it's no, no surprise that David did not choose this option, even though you have been very comfortable with this. But yet, David chose to fall into God's hands. He chose essentially three days of plague. Now, let me do a quick poll among you. Uh. Imagine you have to be in one of these situations, either unemployed, in debt, or in sickness. Which will you choose? Just a quick poll. How many of you would rather choose to be unemployed? If you must choose one, maybe you must choose one. Okay, well, uh, quite a lot of hands. How many of you will choose to be in debt? Nobody. Uh. How many of you will choose to be in sickness? No hands at all. Okay, as I expected, uh, I also rather choose to be unemployed. Uh. Can you imagine the three choices that faced David? He had to serve us three years of famine. Essentially, it's like being unemployed, right? I got no money, I got no food, I cannot buy food for my family. Essentially, that's the option. Well, David had to go to back from other countries. Perhaps we had to back from our family members to borrow money. The second option, being in debt. How many of you like to be in debt? Uh? Okay, Along chase after you, uh, not on your door, go after you in your company, chasing after you. That was the second choice that affected David, right? He had to be hunted by his enemies. The third choice, I think, is the worst. Uh. If there's one choice, I will avoid all of these three, definitely sickness. Because sickness is so unpredictable. Uh, we, just begin, we are still going through a COVID pandemic uh, and we look at how much it disrupted our lives. Sometimes you look at David and say, oh, yeah, David choose the easy way out. Uh. Three days of faith is so easy. Rougher than three years and three months. But if you are presented with these choices, uh, we also don't want sickness. Uh. But yet, David chose a plague. In fact, it's very commendable he chose this plague. Uh, okay. Because remember that David is now a rich and powerful king. In a time of famine, his wealth would have secured his sustenance. The people might suffer, but as a king, you have no lack. Uh. Today, when people go to hunger, famine, uh, the king is protected, right? North Korea, the people are impoverished, but the ruler is doing well. So as a king, he could have easily rode right through that. Well, in a time of war, even being pursued by enemies, uh, his power could secure him safety, isn't it? Go and, go and hide somewhere with his generals, go and go into a country that is strong and powerful. After all, he had very good allies. Uh. Remember, the king of Tyre is like his buddy. Uh. He could go there, get all the enemies to support him. He wouldn't have a problem. He pulled through so many times. So that would have been an easier option for him. Uh. But a plague, considering a plague, uh, the earlier two options, he could, uh, he could mitigate his outcome. But the plague 
will be in, undiscriminating in the source. It could affect anybody. Yeah. Today, nobody can know whether they are safe from COVID. Yeah. Okay. We can be the one that are most taking the most protection, wear masks, avoid everybody. Somehow, we still can. Whereas people who are more at risk don't can. Okay. So, you can, it's undiscriminating. It could affect other people. It could affect David and his family as well. It's unpredictable. It's severity. Yeah. The plague. Yeah. How do you know how severe the plague is? What is the outcome? What is the symptoms? None of us will know. Uh, even COVID affects different people differently, right? So we wouldn't know. It's very terrible. And also it's uncontrollable in its spread. The other two you can control, but people don't like things that are out of their control. Uh. So David made actually a, a more difficult choice. He chose something that he could not control, that he could be affected as well. Why did he choose that? Reason is because he realized God's mercy. He realized that God is very merciful. And so he rather fall into the hands of God than in the hands of men. He said to get, I'm in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hands of men. So indeed, God was very merciful to David, wasn't it? Because not only was that punishment from God, the direct punishment, the shortest in duration, but God even intervened. Uh, three days is compared to three years, it's already very short. Uh, but God actually intervened to stop the punishment. In 1 Chronicles 21, verse 15, we see that God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. He was still within the three days. And as the angel was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil. The word repent actually means he changed his mind. God wanted to inflict punishment, but now God's heart softened. He changed his mind, he was merciful. He said to the angel that destroyed, it is enough, stay now thy hand. It was a shorter duration, but God's mercy moved him to stop the punishment. Such was the mercy of God. It is enough. Consider if David had gone to choose a famine. He went to the nations to supply the, milk, the food for him. Do you think any nation would time say, it is enough, I earn enough from you already. Now I will sell you the rice at a cheap price, I will give to you. No, uh, people will turn for uh, When there's fire, they set the price higher. Uh. Oh, you got famine, uh. now the price gone up. Uh, used to be $1, now it's $20 for the food. Well, there's no mercy. Nobody still says it's enough. How about the enemies? Ah? Do you think the enemies will tell David, Aiyah, we made you suffer enough. It is enough. We'll stop chasing you. No, the enemies will strike you when you're down. Men have no mercy to him. But yet God told him, God said to the angel, it is enough. Stay now thy hand. David had a choice. Fall into God's hands or man's hands. God's hands is a bit more unpredictable compared to the outcomes he could control under man's hands. But yet David knew that God's mercies are tender. He rather fall into the hand of God. How about for us today? Have we taken God's mercy for granted? We consider God's mercy compared to the mercy of others. Well, what mercy does the world show? The world shows quid pro quo mercy. Yeah. So quid pro quo means something for something. I show you mercy if only you have something for me. Okay, You want to have rice for me, you have to want bread for me. If I mean, you must give me something. Money, weapons, whatever. Today, we talk about diplomacy among the world. Uh, it's always based on what can I get from you. Okay? So that's the mercy that the world, the world shows. In fact, Jesus pointed out that sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. I lend to you some, what you need for me. The world says something for something has changed. No such thing as free mercy. But I may say that maybe family might be better. But sometimes family members also show very fickle mercy. Uh, okay? They may have an extent of their mercy. You do it one more time, I disown you. No such thing as unlimited forgiveness. Even Peter had the idea, how many times shall a brother sin against me and forgive him? Until seven times? 
Seven times, I'm being very generous. No, give you seven chances. People give three chances, I give seven. After seven chances, uh, no more. Cut ties already. Sometimes family members are like that, right? Uh, I show you mercy. Okay, on account, you are my brother, you are my son. I give you another chance. But that's it. You go beyond the limit, no more mercy for you. But on the other hand, God shows us complete and undeserved mercy. In fact, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12 says that, I will be merciful to the unrighteousness and the sins and iniquities will I remember no more. God shows us complete mercy even when we are undeserving of it. I remember when I was in forces, my instructor once made a statement uh, that he's thankful that on the day of judgment, God is his judge and not his brethren. I think that that statement actually has a lot of truth in it. Uh. Because why? Men wants justice when it comes to the wrong people who wrong them. But when they wrong others, they want mercy. So when it comes to judge your judgment, if your brother, if my brother don't want to judge me, uh, well, I don't know how tough the judgment will be. Uh. But thankfully, God is the judge. You think about David uh, when he sinned against God. Uh. Even David himself was angry, right? The parable that Nathan said to him about the man, poor man, uh, whose, whose uh, lamb was taken by the rich man. What was David's verdict on the man? Uh? The man that had done this thing, he shall surely die, he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he had done this thing and he had no pity. How unmerciful is that? Uh? Imagine a lamb that is being killed. Uh? You want the man's life for the lamb. Uh? Only is when Nathan says, you are the man. Uh? Oh no, sorry, I was too unmerciful. Wow, can you imagine? You take my lamb, I'm going to take your life. Wow, that's the mercy of the world. So David was not too merciful even. How about his enemy, Shimei? Uh? Remember Shimei, the person who cursed him. Okay? He says, The Lord returned unto you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose state you have reigned, and God had delivered into the, the kingdom into the hand of Absalom, your son, and you are taken in your mischief because you are a bloody man. Hey, imagine striking a man when he's down. Talk about insensitivity, yeah. Uh? A man, his son is now coming after him. But yet this man had no mercy. Uh. Essentially, he's saying that all be good, uh, you deserve it, uh, of all what you have done. Wow, can you imagine how cruel? A person is really suffering so bad from his family, and yet people step on him and he's down. That's the mercy of the world. But what did God tell, tell David? To Nathan, God says, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Really, God has been merciful to David, and even to us, isn't it? Well, the people who put Jesus on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. On the day of Pentecost, the people realize that they have crucified the Lord. In fact, Peter made that statement, God had made that same Jesus whom we have crucified, Lord and Christ. The people are horrified. What shall we do? When, when Peter says, repent and be baptized to wash away your sins. Wow, and people were so, so excited to take the way out. Huh? Wow, God showed so much mercy. 3,000 souls on the day were being baptized. Haven't we also experienced the same mercy from God? We sin against God. We put Jesus on the cross. We deserve death. But God forgiven us. Have we taken his mercy for granted by going back to the world, by committing sin? Have we devalued God's mercy? And now, let's consider the cost. What is the cost for the sin? Well, we see that subsequently, God commanded David to set up an altar on the place of Onan to offer sacrifices to God in order for the sin to be uh, uh, atoned for. Okay. So the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Onan, the Jebusite. And this place is interesting uh, because subsequently we see that this was the place where God's temple would be built. Keep this thought in mind because we'll come back to this thought. So the place that he bought from Onan would subsequently be the temple of God. That was the thing that was to be done. Okay. So he had to buy the place to offer sacrifices 
on the altar. And Onan, okay, that was the place that his uh his place is to be bought for the sacrifice. Onan was ready to accept the offer. Uh. He was willing to give away. Uh. And you can imagine why that is so. Uh, because Onan saw the angel. And this was a fearsome and awesome sight that he saw. Uh. Why was that so? Why is that so? Because the angel of the Lord was standing between heaven and earth, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched over Jerusalem. Can you imagine such a scary sight? Uh? The angel of the Lord holding a sword over Jerusalem. And now at the altar, at the place, the plague is being stopped. God says, give the altar, give your, give the, to get by the place and use it to build an altar for the Lord. Of course, Onan will be quick to offer. Uh. In fact, he make a very generous offer to David. Uh. He says that, I will give to you all. I will give to you all the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing instruments for wood, the wheat for the meat offering, I give to you all. For what purpose? That the plague may be stayed from the people. Imagine your life is at stake. Huh? Someone hold a knife to your neck. Huh? Okay. What will you say? I give you to everything. All my money I give to you. All my potential I give to you. Essentially, that was the deal that, that Onan tried to make. Huh? Uh, whatever God asks for you, I give you everything. So long as the plague is being stopped. Onan made a very generous offer to David. You don't have to pay anything. Everything I will give to it all. My place also never mind. My, my stock also never mind. Whatever is needed, I will give. But such a generous offer, and yet David rejected it. Why so? Because he proclaimed that neither will I offering, burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which cost me nothing. David refused to take it for free because he knew that God had been very, very merciful to him. In fact, consider that David actually bought the threshing floor the oxen for 50 shekels of silver and the place he bought for 600 shekels of gold. That's a lot of money that David offered uh, for the place. But he wanted to give God something that cost him. Remember that David is now king. Uh. As king, he could have anything he wanted. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 4 says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. Who can say to the king, what moves thou? If David wanted, he could have said that even if you don't want to give me for free, I will seize it. That was how Ahab did with Naboth's vineyard, right? But David says, no, I will give to God. You may think that's a very generous offer. Huh? David could have patted himself on the shoulder. Okay, I've given God enough. I've given him what I can. But David noticed he didn't stop there. Huh? In fact, after God accepted his sacrifices, the Bible says that when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of honor the Jebusite, he sacrificed that. He made further sacrifices. It's not enough for my God because God has been so merciful to me. Even though I fall into the hands of God, He has stopped it. He didn't extend, He didn't uh, did the, He didn't uh, extend the full punishment to me. So David said, I will offer even more to God. Remember earlier we said that the house of the place of Onan was used to build a temple. In the next chapter, David didn't say that I've given God enough, two times more than enough. In fact, he wanted to give even more to God. He said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender. The house that is to build for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparations for it. And David prepared abundantly before his death. So his giving to God didn't stop there with the offering that is commanded to be made. He didn't stop there when he made a second round of offerings. He said that now God has been merciful to me. He has shown my blessing. I will give even more to God. I will prepare for the house for the building of God's temple. If I cannot be the one to build it, I will give to my child whatever is necessary to build God's temple. It must be exceedingly magnificent. But brethren, consider ourselves. Have we offered to God that which costs us nothing? Have we offered scraps to God? Are we giving as God has commanded us? 
Remember, David was commanded to build an altar on the crushing floor of Onan? He did exactly that. Well, God also commands us to give to him. In fact, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2, the commandment is made. On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. We are commanded to give to God on the first day of the week. But how often is it that we ask the question, how little can I give to God and you'll be acceptable? We try to wind, uh, worm our way out uh, to say, oh, 10% of the tithe uh, is for Old Testament. Today, there's no such thing. I can give as little as I like. But consider, does God expect more or less of Christians in the New Testament? Ask the question. In the Old Testament, God demands sacrifices. New Testament, we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. Has God's expectation go up or go down? Could it be that God is giving us the freedom to demonstrate our love to Him? And consider the blessings we receive under the New Covenant. Are they greater or lesser than the Old Testament? If the Old Testament, they give a tithe for God's blessings to Him. Under the New Testament, when we receive even greater blessings, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, shouldn't we even give more to Him? So I would suggest to you that 10% is not, even though it's not commanded, it's not that we can give any little amount we want. But 10% should actually be the benchmark that we set for ourselves and look at how we can give even more to God. Are we given even to reciprocate God's mercy? We see that Ona was very willing to give uh, because God was merciful. The punishment stopped at his household. He says, I will give all to God. Well, God has given us his son. His mercy has been extended to us. Will we give to God as well? We see that Apostle Paul, he was very willing to give. He gave his service to God. Why is that so? Because he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace that was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. He served his heart out for God because he realized that God had given him so much. For God's mercy towards us, are we serving him as we should? And are we giving in gratitude of God's blessings? Look at David. Huh? David was a king. He could have said that, well, I've given enough. But David didn't. Huh? He says that I give. It's not enough. I will not give things that cost me nothing. I must pay for it. And then I think about it. God really give me more mercy than I deserve. Maybe I should offer another round of offerings. But then, really, God has made me a king when as a shepherd, he was a nobody. God has given him sons, wives. God has blessed him so much. How can I stop there? In fact, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, after God had told him that his son would be king after him, he was so grateful though that he wanted to build a temple for God. But we see that God says, you shall not build a temple. Your son will build a temple. Ah, okay, lah, now the responsibility goes to my son. Not my responsibility. Let him settle it. That was not what he said. Lah. He said, I will prepare abundantly. He's giving even more in gratitude for God's blessings. And so the psalmist says, David says, what should I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? Read on in verse 13. David says, I will take the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. Has God's blessings propelled us to go about to bring the message of salvation to others? We receive God's blessings. Have we given the same things, the blessings to others around us? Our family members, our friends. Or do we say it's not my responsibility? It's my other family member's responsibility. Let them be the one to do it. David didn't put the responsibility to his son. He took upon himself. He says, I will tell people of your salvation. In fact, verse 14, he says, I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. He will pay his vows. When we obey God in water baptism, have we not made a commitment to God? Have we not vowed that we will be faithful to him? Have we lived up to our vows to God? Or have we offered scraps to God? So in this morning's lesson, we have considered about David's giving to God. We talk about the context, okay, how there was sin being com com committed, 
and we see that there is a price to sin. We ask the question, have we provoked God to anger with our sins? We talk about the cost, the punishment. David had a choice, but he realized that God's mercy is so tender, is so great. He chose to point to the hands of God. But have we taken God's mercy for granted? And also when we talk about the cost, have we offered to God that which costs us nothing? I will only serve when it's convenient. I only give it if it doesn't cost me. Have we given scraps to God? I'd like to end off with this poem uh, that I found on the net. It's called Leftovers. Uh. It says here, Leftovers are such humble things we would not serve to a guest. And yet we serve them to our Lord who deserves the very best. We give to Him leftover time, stray minutes here and there. Leftover cash we give to Him, such few coins as we can spare. We give our youth to the world to hatred, lust and strife. And then in the declining years, we give to him the remnant of my wife. Look at the leftovers here. Huh? How many of you would dare to bring it for agape lunch? Huh? Ah, yesterday's night's leftovers, bring it and serve to everybody. Let's share, let's share. None of us would dare to do that. Huh? In fact, God asked them, huh, give to your governor, would he accept it of you? Huh? No one will do that. Huh? When I host people in my house, huh, I will not dare to serve these. Huh? Okay. I will probably give the best because it reflects our respect and love for others. But when we serve God, we give the remnants, uh, the leftovers. Essentially, when we give Him our leftover time, uh, we are doing this, uh, God, take this. Uh. I use finish my things, I give to God. Sometimes we think about, I will only serve God when I retire. Would you say that to our family members? I will take care of you children uh, when I retire. Let me first earn my money and enjoy my life. We wouldn't. Uh, if it's important, we give to them. We give them the very best. So brethren, consider, are we giving to God our best or the leftovers? Don't think about retirement before serving God. Don't think about later. Why not do it now? Solomon, the son of David, learned the lesson from his father. And he says, Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the dears draw nigh, when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Why give to God what is the leftovers? When you have no energy, you have no health, and then you think about serving God. Why not give him the best of your life? To the friends that are among us, how about you? Will you give to God your life today? Or will you really plan to surrender to Him when you are old, you are weak, and you are frail? Some people say that, I intend to obey the gospel. But not now, lah. I'm in the prime of my life. I want to enjoy life first. And then when I'm older, when I'm near my deathbed, then I'll think about obeying God. Lah. Essentially, they want to give to God that which costs them nothing. But consider the sacrifices that God accepts. Lah. God doesn't accept the leftovers. Lah. Okay? In the time of Malachi, people brought the thorn, the lame, and the sick. Uh. God asked, shall I accept this of your hand? Today, we don't offer animal sacrifices, but we offer our bodies as living sacrifice to God. This living sacrifice, are we going to offer Him the thorn, the lame, and the sick only when I'm on my deathbed that I think about obeying God? Or will I give to God my best? The earlier that we obey the gospel, the more opportunities we have to serve God, isn't it? And to be able to show forth our gratitude towards Him. The Bible says God is not unrighteous to forget our work of labor. Will we give our best so that we can serve Him as much as we can? Well, how then can you obey the gospel? The Bible has revealed to us the plan of salvation. God did the difficult part, sending His Son to die for us. Our part is much easier compared to them. But nevertheless, it requires discipline, it requires commitment, it requires us to give up to God something. Will you hear the Have you heard the gospel? Will you believe the gospel? to repent of your sins, to confess Jesus as the Son of God before men, 
to be baptized, to wash away your sins. And thereafter, importantly, to be faithful to God all the days of your life as we dedicate our lives to Him. If anyone has a need and would like to respond to the gospel, or if any of us would like to rededicate ourselves to God, particularly with the year coming to a close, in the new year, it might be a good time for us to reflect ourselves and rededicate ourselves to God. If there is a need, why not come and let us know of the need and ask the church to pray for you, or if you would like to obey the gospel, we can arrange for you to be baptized this day. Will you come as we stand the hymn of invitation and encouragement? All to Jesus I surrender. Let us meditate on the lyrics of this hymn as we sing. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Saviour, I surrender all, all to Jesus I surrender Humbly at His feet I bow, worldly pleasures are forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee. My blessed Saviour, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, make me Saviour, holy die. Let me know the joy of living. Truly know that thou art mine. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Saviour, I surrender all. All to Jesus I surrender, Lord, I give myself to Thee. Fill me with Thy love and power, let Thy blessing fall on me. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Saviour, I surrender all.